This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Working is sponsored by MailChimp. More than 7 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. Plus, MailChimp distributes hats for cats and small dogs. You can find out more at MailChimp.com. MailChimp. Send better email. The following podcast contains explicit language. I'm Adam Davidson with NPR's Planet Money and the New York Times Magazine. David Plotz, who hosted season one, asked me to take over for this season... David's now really busy being the big shot CEO of Atlas Obscura. And I was so excited because I loved season one of this podcast. I'm going to try and do as good a job as David did. If you haven't heard the podcast before, each week we interview someone who has an interesting job and we get them to tell us how they spend their day, what they do all day. Most of the time, that's going to be someone I don't know, and I'm going to learn alongside you how they spend their day. But our first guest is someone special, special to me. It's my good buddy, Adam McKay. He is Will Ferrell's creative partner. He's written, directed, and produced a ton of great comedy movies and TV shows. And I'm actually working with him right now. I'm his technical advisor on the movie The Big Short, the Michael Lewis book about the financial crisis. I also am working with Adam McKay on a whole bunch of other things because we just try and do stuff together, like another podcast, which you'll hear about in a few months. So we know each other pretty well, but I actually don't know what he does all day. What's your name and what do you do for a living? I am Adam McKay. I am a writer, uh, director, producer. What's a typical day in your life? Well, it depends. There are three different kinds of days I can have. If I'm writing a script, there's that day. If I'm producing primarily, there's that day. And then if I'm actively shooting a movie and directing, there's that day. Um, Should I give you a piece of each? All right, writing is probably the most relaxed and pleasurable of those three. I would usually wake up, let's say 7 a.m. and take my youngest daughter, Pearl, to school. I then would go work out. And around 10 o'clock, 10.30, I would start writing. Usually I will waste a little bit of time for about 45 minutes to an hour and check emails, check news sites, I like to go to like Think Progress, Huffington Post, Daily Coast, those type of places, a real GM for basketball. I'll usually post something on Twitter. 
I still keep a Facebook because there's a bunch of relatives I have who are on there. So I may give that a look and then I'll start easing into writing. And, and they're unusual days because most of what's happening is in my head or off of an outline. And uh, usually the first couple hours are spent identifying what I have to do, which is more important than you would think it would be and figuring out what the steps are to what I have to do. What does that mean? Like, so, and just for context, you've written Anchorman, Anchorman 2, Step Brothers, Talladega Nights, The Other Guys. Well, then I've done a bunch that uh, some I may not be credited for. I, I did a large rewrite on Elf. I just did a large rewrite on Ant-Man movie for Marvel. I've done uncredited rewrites on a bunch of stuff. I've written many scripts that haven't been produced. So I, I wrote a couple TV ones recently that actually aren't going to be made. And uh, and you were, we should say, head writer of Saturday Night Live a long time ago. Yes, yes. So I wrote sketches for a lot of years and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sketches. So, yeah, all kinds of things. But primarily now I write feature films. So, uh, so at that point, you want to identify what you have to do. And, and it's what happens if you, if you don't do that, it feels overwhelming because you have all this work to do. And if you don't say, okay, here's what I'm going to do today. And it's trickier than it sounds. You have to kind of pick the scenes you want to rewrite. You have to look at the macro structure of the script and what you need to make work. Uh, if you're writing fresh pages, still the same questions apply. What am I going to try? I'm going to try and get from point F to, you know, point K today. And you have to kind of know what that roadmap is. So usually, honestly, that'll take me to lunch like that. I'll, I'll just figuring out what you have to do that day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and outlining it. And a lot of times I'll go into the script, you know, with the final draft program, which makes it a lot easier to write a screenplay. And I'll map out uh, using like bold colored letters what I'm going to do in the actual pages and go like fix this, make this part connect with this. And I'll do all the notes so they're actually on the road. If you picture a runner who's going to run five miles, it's like going ahead and mapping out your course that you're going to run is kind of what it is. And it's, it's probably the hardest thing to do during the day. It's the least fun and it's the most workmanlike. And then uh, a lot of times my associate uh, who produces on a lot of my movies and assists me in tons of things, Robin works at Gary Sanchez, the company that I run with Will Ferrell, will come by for lunch and we'll usually eat lunch and then I'll check in on the things I produce as well and we'll talk about other projects that are going on. And, uh, and then I go back to writing and usually this is the most productive part of the day after lunch. Wow, I think for most people that's the least productive part of the day. This is where, that, you know, I use a, a very specific tool in writing that's very important, which is shame. So if I've wasted a lot of time earlier in the day, this is where it's like, okay, if I don't get a good run of writing going on right now, I've just sat around in an office all day and done nothing. And that's really pathetic. So usually around two o'clock, it kicks into a nice gear and I've laid out the roadmap earlier. And I usually can get a good gallop going from like two to like 6.30. You get a good four and a half hours of real writing. Uh, I mean, I've had days where with Farrell, we had a day one time where we wrote 24 pages in a day, which is a lot for a script. Because a movie is like 120 pages typically? Uh, by average, yeah, 120. Comedy is usually a little bit less, 110. So that's the writing groove. That's the usually it's two o'clock to like six thirty, and you got to find the right music to play. I like instrumental music. I don't like lyrics. Too distracting. Depends on the project I'm writing for what I listen to. This one I just wrote, the big short adaptation of the Michael Lewis book, is a little more of a drama. So I actually was listening to music I never would normally listen to. I was listening to like Max Richter and Philip Glass, and like it just worked. Like that's what I ended up using. So. 
uh, usually right up till around 6.30. And then usually there's a flurry of phone calls around that time. And there's people that I was supposed to check in with earlier. So I'll talk to like my agent. I'll talk to a producer, maybe like a network head or a studio person, executive producers at our company have been trying to reach me all day. So they'll usually at that point be about six or seven phone calls. And meanwhile, during all of this, my kids have come home because I, when I'm writing, when I'm really writing, I write at home. It's you have to because the office is too distracting. Sometimes we even use hotel rooms, which are great. And that helps with the shame because if you're paying for a room to be in it to write and you're blowing it off, that is really pathetic because then essentially you've just paid to sit in a room and play like, you know, Angry Birds or watch like bad television. But mostly now I read at home. So yeah, the phone calls usually will take me right up to dinner. Um, and I'm usually in there finishing a phone call while my wife or one of my daughters is saying dinner's ready and hang up the phone and go right to dinner. And then once I'm done for the night, I'm done. I don't like to do other phone calls or have work trickle in. Then, then it's family time. Then you have dinner, put the girls to bed, watch, you know, what are we watching now? Watch House of Cards with my wife, uh, you know, see my older daughter after that. We'll talk a little bit, check in on homework. Um, so that's that's the writing day. Um, I, I don't even know. Like, I don't know enough about script writing to know what it is. But when like I've seen you kind of we're talking in a very vague way and then you disappear. And then fairly soon there's this script that is seems well structured and and like well thought through and there's an awful lot going on it just um so so it's it's helpful for me to understand how much went into making that uh possible yeah i i the, the advantage i have is i always say to people you know because at this point i can write pretty fast and i'm pretty comfortable with the different forms and structures and what i always tell people is i've just been doing this a long time you know from the age of 19 on i was actively writing sketch and I took screenplay classes and I've watched thousands and thousands of movies and I've rewritten and written probably honestly at this point like a thousand different kinds of scripts in my life so that once you know those forms and the storytelling structures I mean I don't know what the old quote is about there's only like 11 different kinds of stories it's kind of true and the funnest part is writing the actual dialogue and flow of the scene is the reason that people want to write and do it Let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, MailChimp. More than 7 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters and deliver high fives. The people behind MailChimp admire the projects that spread creative empathy in the world and creative chaos on the web. MailChimp also distributes hats for cats and small dogs. More at MailChimp.com. MailChimp. Send better email. So we are sitting right now in your offices at Gary Sanchez. And, uh, and explain that because you actually... You are part of the management of two companies that are both in this building. Yeah. Uh, Will and I started a production company, I think, what, about seven years ago now called Gary Sanchez Productions. Uh, we produce uh, film and television. But somewhere along the way, we also ended up producing a website, Funny or Die. So that came out of Gary Sanchez. So we are we're not majority owners, but we own a large stake in Funny or Die and day in, day out, uh, participate in it and help hire people and throw creative ideas. So on our floor right now, we have the Gary Sanchez offices and then it's separated and then there's the giant Funny or Die. By the way, we helped start Funny or Die. It's now 10 times bigger than Gary Sanchez. I mean, it's, it's really become gigantic. You were already a successful writer and director. Will Ferrell obviously has a successful career. Like why also create 
two businesses? What, 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 what itch was that scratching? You know, early on, Will had exactly that question. He's like, why do this? And uh, the idea that I had was that we can do so much more than what we're doing now that you don't always have to be doing it every step of the way where you're writing the script and directing that we can find other talented people. And I think Farrell's just a, a, tends to say yes. He's a very open, collaborative guy. So we go, all right, let's give it a shot. If it doesn't work, we'll stop. And pretty early on, we ended up meeting Danny McBride and Jody Hill and did Eastbound and Down. And I think that was really the first project where we had where I know for Farrell and even for me, because before then it was just a theory of, wow, this is really cool that these guys, Jody and Danny, are amazingly talented. They write the scripts, they direct the episodes, yet we have input, we give notes. Farrell ended up doing one of the characters in the show. I directed an episode. We got to be a part of that. Yet it was clearly Danny and Jody's show. Like they were the vision behind it. The Funnier Die was easy. The Funnier Die was so small. We just said, hey, we're not on SNL anymore. I miss doing sketches. Let's do Funnier Die. And Farrell's like, I miss it too. Let's try it. Who cares? And then it became a thousand times bigger than we ever imagined. and became Largely because of your daughter who was two at the time. Yeah. Pearl, the landlord. That was the video. And it was... I think the, at, at one point, the most viewed video ever and made the company the fastest growing internet company ever. It was ridiculous. And it was a video we shot in 40 minutes at Will's guest house. So that's how we're now sitting in a giant building. Uh, and, and without exaggeration, above us is Oprah Winfrey. Like that's somehow these jackass, small, idiotic ideas have us now with with Oprah Winfrey having an office above us in this giant building. So it's crazy. It is. And I've spent a fair bit of time in this office now. And, and it's cool to me how you'll just have people walking into your office all day saying, we need you to punch up the jokes on this sitcom spec script or who are we going to cast for this movie next year? And who like it, it, it seems like there's like a million small decisions you get to make every day that are kind of, to me anyway, seem like fun, cool decisions to get to make. That's pretty accurate. Yeah, that's the fun of it. And and also the other great thing we were able to do, we missed that camaraderie of, you know, our background, Will's from the Groundlings, I'm from Upright Citizens Brigade, IO and Second City. And we missed that camaraderie of having funny, cool friends around us. So with this company, we just hired really funny, cool friends who turned out to be fantastic, like Chris Henchy, day-to-day runs the company, Owen Burke runs television. This guy, Kevin Messick, an amazing veteran film producer. Jessica Elbaum runs our division, Gloria Sanchez. And these are all people that, Robin Woolley, that make us laugh and we love being around. And so that's another advantage is that we have this collaborative kind of place and we've generated tons of movies for Will that either I've directed or he's starred in and I've you know, helped with the writing or, you know, so Will's having like one of the best runs of his career. And I'll, I'll brag on our company and say that's, that's partially because of Gary Sanchez in the sense that we've developed great material. So that's the producer side. That would be a producer day, which is what you just said, which is I'm in here. I have meetings with writers pitching things. I have meetings with actors that we want to meet and do something with. Like the other day, Brie Larson was in and we think she's amazing and we want to develop something for her. And, and then there's some guy who owns the intellectual property rights to some old book that we actually want to, you know, so you have to do all those kind of meetings and that's much more social and there's a big lunch usually and we're laughing a little bit. And it's also probably one of the more tiring things too, because it's just meeting, 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 meeting. And you're like, all right, I want to go home now. Uh, and that's closer to like work, work, but we still love it. So, um, 
you are about to start full-on production for The Big Short, which is the next movie you're directing. I mean, you're already in the middle of it, but you are, you're a day away from moving to New Orleans for several months to, to run this show. I've been spending a lot of time with you, so I, I know a lot of this, but the movie's going to start filming not for another few weeks, right? Yeah, we have about a month before we start shooting. So, yeah, this is a totally different gear. This is shooting a movie gear. So, I mean, there's actually two different days within shooting a movie. There's when you're shooting day and then there's pre-production day. I'll do shooting the movie, um, but I'll I'll give a little prologue to it, which is, yeah, when you're in pre-production, your whole day is people constantly checking in with you with questions, 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 questions. So it's the prop person saying like, okay, I'm going to put these fake you know, documents on the table, do you want them scattered or stacked? So then I may come to you as our consultant, Adam Davidson, and go, you've been around a lot of these offices. They seem pretty orderly to me. Am I right or wrong? And you're going to be like, yes, you're right. Some of the smaller hedge funds get a little crazy, but for the most part, so that'll be a decision. Then the AD will call and he'll say like, okay, for the background actors, do you want me to have busy crosses or do you want it to be pretty sedate? And I go, you know what? We've been going to these places. It's pretty sedate. So, and it's just question after question, after props, after costume, after hair, after makeup. Then you go through the shooting day schedule. Then you meet with the DP and you talk about the style of shooting and what equipment we want to order. And do you need a crane on this day? And you're going through. So it's that, that, that. And then you start shooting and and, and just so today you and I and you and I went to an actual trading floor because a lot of your movie takes place on trading floors. And there was the overall designer trying to just get a feel for the design. There was a prop guy who just wanted to look at every physical object people touch and hold. There was a costume designer who was looking at what people wear. You're going to have to make a lot of creative decisions, right? You're not this is not a documentary and, and these are fairly bland spaces. So you have a lot of choices to make and guidance to give them about how real versus how expressive or whatever these design choices will be. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there's almost like a ratio to that. And, you know, obviously when you're doing a movie like Anchorman or Step Brothers, it's pretty expressionistic, you know? So you're saying, you know, I remember talking to people on Step Brothers going, we're, we're about 83% in reality, <laughs> but there are going to be times where something's going to happen to where if that happened to someone in real life, they would die. You know, Anchorman was about the same thing. It was like 80% in reality, except the gang fight happens, and that isn't remotely real. Each movie kind of has, and then the other guys was probably a little more real. That was probably like 94% real, except those guys jump off a building for no reason, and maybe one other crazy. Will was a pimp by accident in college, so there's like two crazy things. So the big short is 99. It's the highest level of reality ever. It's 99.3% real. So all the pre-production is about that. Pre-production is really important. That once again, like with the writing, that's where you set your roadmap. It's very, very crucial to everything. Yeah. So so this cast, it's an insane cast. It's Gosling, Carell, Brad Pitt, Christian Bale. And today, Ryan Gosling and Steve Carell were there. And they were really intensely trying to... Under, I mean, it was fascinating. Ryan Gosling seemed to really want to understand kind of both the intellectual but emotional truth of the bond traders and to understand how they understood the world. Steve Carell seemed to really clue into their physicality, just how they moved their bodies through space, how they used their arms. I found it really fascinating. I mean, I have to, even, my dad's an actor and I, I still don't think I fully appreciated just how intense that process of taking on a role and, and how thirsty they were for like bits to, to understand this character. 
It's something really none of them has ever done before. They've never been in this world. And I, I love that Christian Bale is going to play like a really an introvert. Like Michael Burry's an introvert. And I'm really excited for that. And then Brad Pitt gets to play a, you know, a little bit of a paranoid, ap- apocalyptic kind of guy, even though his character is brilliant. But the same rules apply. The same rules of, of collaboration and paying attention and listening and and really getting on the same page with the person and just going deeper and deeper with it all apply. And the same rule applies that you just feel that click when something's working versus when it's not. You just know it. You always do. And I'm sure that's the case in, in your field as well is whatever you're doing. There's it's just that click of, oh, there you go. Now we're there. And I mean, one thing that strikes me is so you're you've had a great comedy career. And this is I mean, you're. This is a big stretch for you, right? It's more dramatic, although there are funny moments. It's um, more topical, I guess, um, than others. Or does it not feel that way? Does it feel... I I think, you know, there's a... A lot of these studios and companies like to kind of know that they're getting someone who does a certain genre or thing well. So everyone gets kind of framed as, well, you've done comedy, so you're a comedy person. But anyone who knows me knows that I, I actually don't watch a lot of comedies. I watch... I love documentaries and I love foreign movies. Like those are the two things I watch the most. You know, I have a a large array of interests and I love movies and I watch every kind of, I want to do, you know, I just rewrote, you know, rewrote this Marvel comics movie and I, I like all kinds of different things. So anyone who knows me knows it's not really a stretch. It's what I've always liked to do. And even when I was in Chicago, we did a dramatic improv show that was not comedy and, used to always go see different kinds of theater. And, you know, I was an English major and wrote short stories that weren't remotely funny. And were probably- I mean, actually, I'll be honest, like, because, I mean, I've gotten to know you largely in the context of this project. So to me, this, like, the comedy is the stretch. Like, I have never seen you actually say anything funny. Like, you're kind of... Yeah, I, I really approach comedy more as a, a from a clinical perspective. I don't actually feel joy or I don't know if I've ever laughed, to be honest. Is that true? Really? Yeah. I mean, I've choked and some of the sounds sounded like a laugh, but. Wow, that is intense. I did not know that. That is interesting. But I have actually seen you laugh like a lot today, yesterday, like I've seen you laugh like a million times. Have you ever heard of a, there's a term, a sociopathic replication, which is where you study emotions and learn to replicate them so you can fit into the, uh, the, the dominant group? Uh, to <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about a, a shooting day. So what, um, those are, I have no idea what, it, what, what is it like on a shooting day? All right, so the story I always tell about a shooting day is I, we're shooting Talladega Nights, and I have a friend and his brother, who's also a friend, call me and say, can we please come to set? And I'm like, all right, you guys can come. And they're like, we're going to fly into Charlotte where we're shooting. We want to come hang out on set. We're dying. We're dying. I go, okay. But I'm going to warn you, it is boring. Like, oh, that's just you saying it because you do it. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you, it's boring. It's a lot of waiting around where the lighting's getting put up. And then it's multiple takes of like a chunk of dialect. Ah, you know, shut up, shut up. And these are grown guys at the time. They're like, you know, 34 or whatever. And they fly into Charlotte. Uh, the, my assistant at the time gets a car to meet him. They come right to set. And we're actually shooting a fun scene. It's the one where Farrell's blindfolded and drives his car down the street and crashes into cars and crashes into his house. His dad, Gary Cole's trying to teach him how to drive from instinct. And it's a fun, crazy scene. And they show up and they get there and they're like, hey, how are you, man? Hey, good, good. I go, you got a couple chairs there. We're setting up this shot. And I am not exaggerating. 20 minutes later, they come up and go, we're so bored. 
can we leave? Can we take your car and just go hang out in Charlotte's? <laughs> and that was it. They never came back to set again. And I met them that night for dinner and beers and, and they never have asked to come back. So shooting is very, very boring in a lot of ways. But from my perspective, it's not, of course, because your mind is always working and calculating and triangulating and you're trying to figure out what you need and you're always you're always trying to give yourself gifts for the edit room you just know you're going to end up in that edit room for weeks and weeks and you better have good stuff um so yeah you usually wake up at 5 30 in the morning five o'clock in the morning some ungodly time because you're trying to get every ounce of sunlight you can get you show up on set you know you're usually greeted by your ad and your dp and you're boom, you're right into your first shot and you're talking about it. And I usually say, hey, I'm looking at this, this and this. The actors come to set and we do a little dry rehearsal where they read it and the actors join in the conversation. And well, wouldn't it be better if I was over here? Absolutely, it would be. Meanwhile, I'm talking to the DP. Okay, make sure that, you know, and the AD, make sure the background movement doesn't distract, but I want some depth here, see if you can get this. So there's a whole conversation about the first shot. Really, it almost feels like a day of shooting is all about the first shot. Because once you get that, you've got your momentum. So then usually you go, okay, we all good. We're all good. And let's assume everything's going well. The actors then go back to hair and makeup to get finished getting gussied up. And there's lighting. And usually it's like an hour that you, I sometimes go take a nap or have an egg sandwich. And, uh, and then you come back off of that and you get your first shot. I usually, I don't do crazy amounts of takes. Uh, if it's a comedy, we're usually doing a lot of improv and alt. So it's like six, seven takes usually. And uh, something goes wrong, it can get up to eight or nine, but usually sometimes three, depending on what it is. And then you've got momentum. Then you're going, okay, now we need to get the other side of that coverage. Now the lighting setups are getting less because you've kind of done your master lighting setup for this location. And, and now you start to move a little bit and you know, you're just shooting and shooting and you know, thinking and giving notes. And sometimes you got to come down by the camera and you're talking to the actors and, uh, and you do that all the way up to lunch and then lunch hits. And usually the decision is, am I going to sleep or am I going to eat food? And a lot of times I'm going to sleep. I'm going to like, just give the, put the brain in a bucket of ice and just sleep for an hour. And same thing in the second half of the day, there's almost like a second first shot of the day where you then all get together. Or sometimes before lunch, you've left a lighting setup that's in process. So lunch goes like 20 minutes longer and then the lighting setup's done. And and it's really all like lighting setup, shoot. Lighting setup, shoot is kind of the pattern of the day and checking it with the actors. And then sometimes there's a company move where you have to go to a second location. So everyone jumps in cars and trucks and you go meet somewhere else and you're getting three different setups of something. And, and that's it. Light, shoot, light, shoot. Work with the actor, check in. Now, and then the whole time I'm second guessing myself. That's all I'm doing. There's, is this good enough? Is this the right way? I have a little flicker of doubt that it's not. We're here with these cameras. Let's get something to cover it in case I'm wrong. You know what? Even though I think this whole shot's going to work, I could be an idiot. A lot of times I am. Let's get this little extra shot here. Well, that makes the day kind of tough. How tough? Well, we can still make our day. And who are you talking? Who is that the AD or who, who is the guy who's keeping the master schedule and saying, if we do that extra shot, that'll add 20 minutes. That'll screw us up later in the day. It's usually two people. It's the AD uh, assistant director and it's the line producer. Who's the person who keeps track of all the pennies and how much money you have. And if you go two over, you don't want to get way over budget because then the studio starts breathing down your neck. And sometimes it's the DP gets pulled into the conversation because he's really the guy that has to make it happen. So you're having all these discussions during the day and shoot, shoot, shoot. And then 
you know, hopefully you're on schedule and that sun starts going down and you've started at, let's say, 630 and it's now 630 at night and you're done and you jump in the car. And once again, there's usually Robin will be next to me with about seven emails I have to answer and casting tapes I have to look at for the car ride home. And you get into the house and sometimes there's like two more phone calls and then it's like a big light switch flips off and you just flop on the couch and just, ah, uh, and hopefully there's an NBA game on and then I'm supposed to be eating healthy, but I'm so tired. I go screw it. And I Domino's has a new menu and I realize how what a hypocrite I am because I hate corporate chain restaurants, but I go screw it. I'm getting the artisanal, you know, cheese and pepperoni and I eat it and then boom, I'm asleep and it's exhausting. It's five, six days a week for week after week after week. And you are tired. So one thing we were going to talk about throughout this working podcast is not not specific dollars or, or how much you make, etc. There's certainly a base economic thing that you want to that you I'm sure you're happy you hit. But you're actually in this incredibly lucky position that very few people are in where you you get to make choices more on fun than on money. Yes. Yeah. That's always been our MO is that we always do stuff we like. And it's, we got lucky in the sense that the time and place of it all happened to coincide with a lot of other people, not everyone, but a lot of people who like what we like as well. So we made Anchorman and it was considered a crazy movie. And there was some dispute, you know, there was some discussion about this movie's too crazy. Should DreamWorks even be making this? And it came out and it did quite well, but it didn't do gangbusters. And then we, you know, got very lucky in the sense that over the next couple of years, more and more people kept watching it. And, and that, that was, that goes back to at Saturday Night Live, that goes back to Chicago with Second City. The Upright Citizens Brigade started as, you know, a kind of street theater playing, you know, Steve Albini music and doing live pranks. And, 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 and never was there any kind of commercial motive behind it. It was just stuff that made us laugh. And, you know, it, it, I, at the time I was 25 years old and there were a lot of other 25 year olds out there that had similar tastes. So the stuff that we like happened to resonate with, you know, a few million other people. And that's enough that you can start making money so but it comes into play there's no question about it and uh and a few times in our company's history gary sanchez we've done stuff because we thought there could be a great deal or great money there and then every time we do that it doesn't work out <laughs> we've had some crashing a couple crashing failures where we chase the deal rather than what we actually like and uh fortunately reality's been very clear to us about that like don't do that so we try and stick to stuff we actually enjoy. Fabulous. All right. I think that's it. Is there anything you forgot to say about how you work? Uh, I thought, I mean, the whole reason I did this was you said there's going to be a large part about my relationship with God and how I think other people can have that relationship. And So the next week we're going to have another working person. Um, thank you very much, Adam McKay. Uh, I wish you luck with your relationship with God. Well, uh, I made you, I mean, we talked about this for hours, how I'll do your secular podcasts, but there has to be a religious component to it. And you, no, no, there's absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. I thought that was throughout. Everyone gets that. Okay. Well, I mean, I would like it if you listen to this podcast to play uh, Christian rock contemporary music while listening to this podcast. And that's the perfect blend of what I was trying to say today. Then you really get who I am and what I do. Okay, we will, I'm, obviously I can't right now say for sure, um, 
and when you say Christian contemporary, there's a lot of variation in there. So, and there's also, I'll be very clear, Amy Grant. I, I won't sign the release on this podcast. There's no release. You've already, you're really, yeah. that's what's awesome about podcasts. We just record it and then we're done and I have total control. I have final edit. What the fuck, man? All right. You got me. You got me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Working. On our next episode, I'll talk with the bail bondsman king of New York City. He's going to tell us what it's like to get celebrities released from jail on the worst days of their lives, what it's like spending your day shifting between cops and judges and criminals. And he also has a lot of funny stories. We want to hear your thoughts about this podcast, and we'd also love suggestions of other people we should talk to. You can email us at working at slate.com. The show is produced by Joel Meyer. Our executive producer is Andy Bowers. Working is part of the Panoply Network. Check out all our great podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. See you next time. I'm Adam Davidson. I'm Felix Salmon, and this week on Slate Money, we're talking about Apple Watches, expensive cocktails, and if you're really lucky, you might get to hear about correlation matrices. Find us at slate.com slash slate money, or subscribe to Slate Money on iTunes.